Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. And I'm, I'm excited, though, to share around this. And I was reading through uh, the, the verses around Jesus' death and resurrection because it's Easter. And I was reading about it over the last uh, couple weeks. And it exists in all four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, but there was something that I found interesting as I was reading through it was actually all the stories within the story. So I titled this message, if you're taking notes, um, I, I gave it two titles. You can, you can call it one of, it's, a, it's an A or B, you choose. It's a choose your own adventure title. The message comes the same though, right? So you can choose at the beginning or the end what you want the title to be, that'd be fine. Um, I titled it, one is the Jesus journey, or two, the other option is the stories within the story. The stories within the story. The Jesus journey or the stories within the story. Uh, Why don't you bow your heads quickly and I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your presence is here. We thank you that your truth is as relevant today as it was many years ago when you went to the cross and died on our behalf. I pray right now, God, that you would remove every barrier that would keep us from being able to hear from you. And God, I pray that this would be a space and a time where we find out who Jesus really is is. God, anything that stands in our way, any beliefs that are misaligned, any opinions that are out of place, God, would you give us the the courage and the strength to set them on the altar, to let them die, to be rebirthed into what you really are and who you really are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to open with this verse. It's found in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, and this is written in the uh, Amplified Version. Does everyone ever, ever... Has anyone ever heard of the Amplified Version? The Amplified Version is an interesting version of the Bible where what they've done is for some of the words, because the Bible was not originally written in English, for some of the words that have multiple meanings or expanded meanings, they put in brackets an expanded meaning. So, you know, if one verse is two lines in in a standard version of the Bible, it might be four lines there where they've expanded the definition. You can imagine if you were learning a different language and you go to the dictionary of that language, you know, the answer there is generally not one word. It's about seven. So it's trying to give you a better explanation explanation of that. So this is written in the Amplified Version. It says, he has made everything beautiful and appropriate in his time. He has also planted eternity, in brackets, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart, in brackets, a mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. Yet man cannot find out, comprehend, or grasp what God has done, his overall plan, from the beginning to the end. In uh, the NIV, for giving you the, the contrast of that, not in the Amplified Version, it says this, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to end. How many of you feel like that's true? I cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. I see snippets of his plan. I see snippets of what he's doing. But ultimately, I feel like, wow, what God is doing is always beyond what I can comprehend and understand. And the story of Jesus going to the cross, his death and his resurrection fits so well into that verse. It's a story that from beginning to the end, we cannot fathom. If you look through the disciples, if you look, like, look through the story about Jesus' disciples, you can demonstrate very clearly that they could not fathom the beginning to the end of what Jesus was doing. 
It's almost as though, you know, it's, it's fun to read the Bible today where we have the beginning and the end because we read through the disciples and we think they're so dumb the whole time through. Okay, you don't think that. No one agreed with me. That's okay. I think, I think like it feels like they're so uninformed of what's going on, but really it's because we know the end. But if you're in the beginning and, and a man comes who's the Messiah, the Savior, and then he dies, well, you think story's over. We look at it like, well, guys, just wait three days. Why are you so impatient? Why'd you go fishing? Why'd you give up? Why'd you think everything was over? Well, we see the end from the beginning. You know, it's amazing to see the disciples end here, but we feel very much like the disciples when it's our journey. (laughs) God, it's dead. What do you mean? Nothing can happen. Won't you just be patient, Jesus says. Because I see the beginning and the end. I love reading through the story because there's something so personal about the Bible. Have you ever found that? Like I find when I read through the Bible, there's something so personal about it. They use so many people's names. I don't use that many people's names. I said like that guy who was at church the other day. (laughs) You're like, you need his name? What do you mean? But throughout the Bible, they always are using people's names. They're giving us the story within the story. And uh, I want to start, I'm going to sort of go through a few different verses. And I want to touch on six stories. Uh, six stories within the story. I know you're terrified. Don't worry, I, got, I, I was told how much time I was allowed to preach by the kids' team. <coughs> I'm not sure if they gave me uh, Josiah time or their time. We'll find out at the end. <coughs> um, but I want to start, and we're going to read this through in, in Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke. Um, and we're going to start in, oh, I missed a page, that's why. Uh, We're going to start in chapter 22. So the first story here, Jesus went out as usual. He's done the Lord's Supper, and um, it says he went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Some of you may have heard this as the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Everyone say that three times fast. No, no one wants to try me? Okay. On uh, reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw away. So Jesus' disciples, they've been with him the whole time. Twelve of them, they're there. Oh, well, eleven of them, they're there. He's praying. He said, hey, wait here. I'm going to go just over here and keep praying. Pray that you won't fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw behind them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, Jesus, going to the cross. He knows this. They do not know this. He's going to the cross. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knows what's coming, and he doesn't want to do it unless he has to do it. I get it. It makes sense. Then he comes back. He with he uh, uh, an angel with from heaven uh, appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you still sleeping? Or why are you sleeping? He asked. Get up and pray, so you will not fall into temptation. If you read this through in uh, the other Gospels, you'll find out that what happens is Jesus is praying. He goes goes away from them. They fall asleep. He comes back. He's like, why are you you sleeping? Wake up. Pray that you won't fall into temptation. He goes away again to pray. Jesus is praying this agonizing prayer. Can you imagine in your worst moment? This is Jesus' upcoming to his worst moment. His, His greatest moment of desperation where he knows he's only willing and able to choose to do this on the price that he's paying for his friends and those he doesn't know, right? So Jesus is praying, God, please let this cup pass me if it can, but if it's, if it's the only way for this to happen, I'll do it. 
He's praying this. He comes back and his friends are asleep. Do you ever have those moments where you have a conviction about something and you go back and you're like, are you sure? Jesus is praying for their eternal salvation and they're asleep. He's like, do you know the agony that I'm going in? He goes, he prays this first time. He goes, they're asleep. Wake up. Pray that you won't fall into temptation. He goes again. The other gospels say he comes back a second time and they're asleep. He doesn't bother waking them up. He just goes and prays again. You can sort of feel this anguish in him of like, I'm praying earnestly about this. It's like, it's like those times in your relationship where you feel like I'm working and doing everything I can in my relationship and my spouse is asleep at the job. He looks at them, thinks, what in the world? He says, no, but I'll still go and pray. It's amazing what can be happening while you're sleeping. It's amazing what can be happening in the pause. Comes up the third time, wakes them up, and someone comes to betray him. But I just think that's such an interesting aside in the story. These disciples who'd been with Jesus, who had no comprehension of what Jesus was doing, yet Jesus is abdicating, advocating for them, even though everything they're doing shows no reason for him to advocate for them. The interesting thing about this, the scriptures when we read them through is they're, they're written in a way that we are meant to be able to find ourselves in the story. Can you find yourself in the story of the disciples asleep while Jesus is at work? Woken up in the middle of the night to pray again. You know, have you ever had that happen? Jesus wakes you up in the middle of the night, you pray, and then you look at your clock and three hours have passed by, and you're like, wow, I prayed for three hours or slept for three hours. <laughs> but Jesus, even in our insufficiency, even in our lack of care, cares. Of course, we have this next part where uh, we're in the Garden of Gethsemane and Judas, who has been uh, offended by the acts of Jesus and thought, I'm going to get my money's worth. He goes and he asks them. It's, it's interesting. It's not even that they approach Jesus to betray Judas. Sorry, they don't approach Judas to betray Jesus. Judas approaches them to figure out how much money he'll get to betray Jesus. Man who's been with Jesus for three years, sacrificing his life. Jesus has kept him close. You know, it's your best friend betraying you. It's the person who knows all your secrets. Who knew where your secret prayer closet was? It says that Judas knew where to go because he'd been there before. That this is the place that Jesus goes to pray. And Judas betrays Jesus for 30 silver coins. And uh, there's, there's uh, scriptures in Isaiah that talk about this reality that, there would, that Jesus would be betrayed for 30 silver coins. And of course, what happens later is Judas regrets his decision. He brings the 30 silver coins back to the temple leaders, the high priest and whatnot. He brings it back and says, I've done wrong. Here's your money back. And there's this interesting sort of statement in there. And it says that they couldn't accept the money because it was considered blood money. You know what I wrote down as I was thinking about it uh, uh, this, this last week, I guess, as I was preparing? Where did the money come from in the first place? Have you ever realized that the 30 silver coins came out of the coffers of the church? That the donations that had come into the temple were the same things that were used to betray Jesus. And what's fascinating, even in this simple story of the silver coins, the 30 silver coins, they go to return, the, the high priests say, well, we can't take them, it's blood money, we can't put it back into the temple now. 
So they buy a, a field, it says. They buy a field called the potter's field to bury the foreigners who die. And it's as though these 30 silver coins were non-redeemable. You understand what I mean by that? Yeah. They, they no longer could be used for their former purpose. They had been unclean. They'd been dirty. But yet still the 30 silver coins used for the negative means of the high priest still end up becoming a sign of redemption. They are a place for the lost to be buried. The very thing that was betrayed and unredeemable, the story of Jesus depicts all the way through that, that still Jesus redeems the unredeemable. I see myself in the silver coins. It's the thing that was discarded and discredited as worthless and unworthy, yet even in that way, there's a, a scripture that says uh, God works all things together for good for those who trust in him. Even the 30 silver coins that the high priest couldn't do something with, God worked together for good for the foreigners to now have a place to be buried. Right. The story within the story. There's this man, um, and maybe you can see yourself in this story. It's found in uh, Luke 23, and I'm just, um, I know I'm summarizing this, but if you walk through from Luke 22, we're, we're going uh, systematically through this. And there's this little aside, you've probably heard it before, it's in Luke 23, starting in verse uh, 26. It's actually just, just verse 26. This is, this is what, what um, confirms to me the personal nature of Scripture. It says, as they led him away, this is Jesus, as they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene who was on his way in from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. They take a man who is about his own business. He's heading home from the country. They give him his name because the name matters. And he's forced to carry Jesus across. Guy doesn't know Jesus. Have you ever been the person, maybe, (laughs) that you felt like, All Jesus has ever done for me is give me weight to carry. I don't even know you, but all I get from you is work, abuse, and discredit. I'm just going about my own business, and then someone pulls me out of the crowd and makes me carry some other man's cross for something, and now I'm humiliated, I'm discredited, I'm disowned, and we don't even know if this man knew who Jesus was. I know, I can see myself in the story of Simon from Cyrene who carries the burden for Jesus without the desire for him. It seems so unnecessary to tell us his name. But I think so much of scripture is designed so that we can see that my name, just like Simon's name, matters. If today they were writing scripture, it wouldn't say the 20 adults in C3 Vernon. It would say Courtney and Sandy and Jessica and Greg and Kimberly and Tiffany. It would call you by name. I like when people call me by name. (laughs) Makes me feel important. You do too. You're just not willing to admit it. There's this interesting story though. Simon from Cyrene just on his own business, interrupted. Can you imagine the emotions this man felt? The pain he endured. 
Some of us feel like that sometimes. Jesus, I got dragged into the Jesus story. <laughs> Remember I was saying I have this bad habit, I grew up in church? You know, maybe that's you. <laughs> I got dragged into the Jesus story. Here's this interesting thing about the Jesus journey, is all of our journey to Jesus is different. Right. But every one of us, whether you know it today or you will know it in your future, you're all on a journey to Jesus. I don't know where you're at in it, but I actually think that's part of what this story is trying to depict to us very clearly, is that every person here has a very different journey to Jesus. Simon from Cyrene, Judas, the disciples, they all have a very different journey to Jesus, but they all get the opportunity to make a decision on that journey through Jesus. Simon, Cyrene. There's this other man, uh, we'll find him in uh, Luke 23, we're still in Luke 23, and it's uh, found in verse 50, it says, now there was a man named Joseph, everyone say Joseph, just trying to see if you're awake, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision, so it means that he was a leader in the Jewish uh, synagogue, he was uh, of the Jewish council, so he was a part of making decisions, same people who chose to crucify Jesus, but he did not consent to it, so He was in the wrong crowd, if you will, um, and they were making that decision. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea. Sometimes we talk about him as Joseph from Arimathea. Again, Joseph gets a name. And he was waiting for the kingdom of God. There are people in our world that are waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in the tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. So, it's a very, very small part. Uh, one of the other verses tells us that Nicodemus was also there. Nicodemus, you'd know as someone who went in the night to meet Jesus because he didn't want people to know. And Joseph and Nicodemus fit into the same category. They're secret Christians. <laughs> They're closet Christians. They're, please don't find out I'm a Christian. Christians. I believe in Jesus, but I don't want you to know it. My religion is personal, not public. But there's this moment for Joseph here. And it's lost on us predominantly. And I woke up in the middle, and I think I woke up this morning or last night in the middle of the night, realizing something about this. Is all through the story, we, we lose some of the Jewish culture of the day. So Jesus died on Friday, but Friday in um, Jewish culture is Sabbath. So from Friday at sundown till Saturday at sundown is Sabbath. So Jesus died just as the Passover lamb was cut because it was Passover time. So it was Friday before sundown, Jesus died. And you'll read in the story that they were very quick to make sure that they got Jesus off the cross and the other people off the cross because they didn't want the bodies there during Sabbath because it was unclean. The Jewish faith has a lot of rules around unclean. I was reading Leviticus 2 this morning. Was that this morning, Alex? Yeah, and it was on sores and mold, white sores and mold. Like that, what a, what a scripture to wake up to. Got to tell you. Um, but, uh, but there's this thing that happens right here is that if you did something that made you unclean, you cannot participate in the Jewish festivals of Sabbath and Passover. And this was right around Passover, right? So um, what, what happens here is the reality is when Joseph asked for Jesus' body, it means that he must have had a high enough stature to be able to approach Pilate, the governor, and ask for his body. 
but he was making a decision to be disqualified from the Jewish festivals because he was going to touch a dead body. So just as everyone else was concerned about Jesus's body being off so they could get on with their life, Joseph was making a decision to transform his life. He was saying the value and importance I put on making sure that Jesus has the proper burial actually changes my religious beliefs. I never realized that in this story. That he chose to miss out on Passover and the Sabbath. He'd be unclean for seven days for touching the body. Nicodemus, same thing. Other scripture or other uh, gospels will tell us that Nicodemus was there. Wrapping Jesus' body in linen, putting spices around the body. Nicodemus, who is known for being a coward, going to Jesus in the night, that's when he was willing to approach Jesus. Secret, secret Christians, closet Christians. When no one's looking, I have faith. When things are horrible, I have faith. But they're making this stance right here. That they will opt out of something for the reality. This is a stance of, this is what we truly believe. We believe our heritage has been good, but this is the moment we've been waiting for. That's a pretty amazing story. And what is it? Joseph has a name. I don't know, can you see yourself in the story of Joseph? The secret Christian. The closet Christian. But in this moment, he's making a stance. He's saying, actually, this is where I'm going. Again, everyone's journey to Jesus is so different. But everyone's journey to Jesus gets to a point of making a decision. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck always. Like, I, please, if you have older children, tell me if this ever ends. Um, but I'm stuck always trying to tell my kids, like, okay, like, even today, one of them, like, this, one of my children, I can't use names, but you know, use your imagination. <clears throat> one of my children tells me, they kicked me in the face. I'm like, yeah, but then you kick them. And like, you're, yes, I can't do anything about them kicking you, but you retaliating your choice, you get power over. And I'm always trying to teach my kids, okay, yes, I can't, can't change the world around you. Like, things aren't fair. This happens. Yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect you, do all this I can. But you have to choose how you respond to it. Correct. Yeah. And we all have a journey to Jesus. Yeah. And we all can use our journey to Jesus, our life, our circumstance, our relationship, our all of this as a stance against Jesus, but really we are all accountable for our reaction and response to Jesus. My journey's going to be different than your journey. Some of your journeys were hard and horrible. Some of your journeys were amazing and wonderful. Yet still at the end, your decision and your reaction and response to it is your reaction and response. Jesus is grace and love for all of your journey. Jesus was present and available through all of your journey. Even when you think like Simon the Cyrene. I was just going about my business and Jesus made my life harder. <laughs> right. But even if that was your journey, your response is up for you. Yeah, that's right. Peter. I've got to watch my time. Can't get the kids team in trouble, you know, mad at me. Peter was one of the disciples. He was asleep on the job, right? And uh, it's my journey. <laughs> that was good. 
Yeah, he'll choose my adventure. Depending on how long I take, my, you know, we know how that journey goes, right? <laughs> you guys are distracting me. This isn't helpful. Peter. Man, I love, I love the character of Peter in the Bible because he is just so human. He's arrogant. He's proud. He, like, runs, runs his mouth so much. You know, like, I can't see him. I can't see my story in his at all. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's unfortunate, isn't it? Um, so Peter, Peter's asleep on the job, just like the rest of the disciples. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying for them and the future of the world. He's praying because he's willing to go to hang on a cross in our place. And he's pay, praying for them, and they're asleep. Peter's asleep. You know, and Peter, Peter's, uh, he's quick at it, right? So Judas and, uh, and the, the, the people come to uh, uh, take Jesus, and Peter's out with a sword cutting off ears, right? He's like, let's do this. Um, you know, and Jesus is like, what are you doing? And he takes the ear, heals it back on. He's like, put your sword away, Peter. It's, you can almost see that, like, Peter's a verb. Right? Or, it's, or is, it, is it a verb or a noun? What's it like? It's a Peter. Like, oh, he, there. he did a Peter. <laughs> that feels inappropriate when I say that. So let's, let's not all do Peters, okay? It's okay. Um, you get what I'm trying to say in that, though. Um, and Peter's, Peter's, Peter's wanting to be a part of the process, right? So they, they take Jesus, and he, he's got enough clout with the Jewish society that he's able to get into the temple. So he's, or not into the temple, but into the, the uh, temple courts. So he's following Jesus to try and see what's happening, right? Because Jesus gets taken into the temple courts, and then he gets taken to the governors. And the governors are like, why are you bringing him here? He's done nothing wrong. So like, like, it's just this, this runaround, right? Because you do remember that Jesus was wrongfully convicted of a crime. Like the injustice of Jesus. Oh, that'd be a great title for another message. Yeah, the injustice of Jesus. Well, that's not this week, but so Peter is traveling through and he's he's into the courts and 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 he had said earlier, he told Jesus, like, I will never deny you. And Jesus, is like, buddy. That's what he said. That's scripture, right? Buddy. No. He says, he said, Peter, before the rooster crows, basically before sunrise, you're gonna deny me three times. So he goes into the temple courts, and people keep asking, like, oh, I saw you there. Uh, it says a, a, a relative of the guy that he cut his ear off sees him. It says, I'm sure I saw you there. No, not me. <laughs> it just seems so foolish to me. But, like, my, my, my cousin's ear is cut. Are you sure it was you? He denies him. Denies him. Denies him. The rooster crows. And suddenly he's broken inside. He's, he's the person who loves Jesus with all his heart, who pursues Jesus and says all the right things, but it's just always in the mud messing up. I don't know. I, I can see my story in Simon Peter. Loving God, pursuing God, pursuing his purposes, and like then denying him. It goes through. It's just, it's just this, this, this story um, of Peter, right? So he goes through this, and then it says, when Jesus dies and ascends to heaven, or sorry, when he, he dies and he comes back to earth, that, that uh, the disciples are all fishing. You know, Peter's out fishing, 
He realizes that Jesus is there. He runs back. They have a, you know, a fish fry, a cookout. And Jesus is asking him, hey, Peter, do you love me? And I can feel the pain of that. I can feel the pain in Peter's story where he wants to say yes. He, he was so quick-witted and quick responded, uh, response, quick response in all the other accounts. But here you feel the apprehension because you feel the reality sink in. It's like, it happens in our life. I'm sure it does. Yeah. These moments where I'm like, yes, I love God. But my track record doesn't show. So Jesus asking you, do you love me? It's like, well, yeah, I, I think I do. But I look at this and I don't know. What is love? Do you love me? Do you love me? You know, these are the questions. And, and I think there's something so important in that transaction between Jesus and Peter. I think the importance in that transaction is the recognition that Jesus' love for us is not dependent on our actions. Jesus' love for you is not dependent on your actions. The best example I can give of that, uh, well, I'll give you a scriptural example and I'll give you a personal example, is when my children were born, I loved them. From the very moment I saw them. And they've done nothing for me. At that moment. Or si- no, at that moment. <laughs> but they didn't have to do anything to deserve or earn my love. And I think maybe childhood years are all about testing that in your parenting. There's a lot of things my children do. That the response of love obviously demonstrates that it's not based on their actions. Jesus, when he's baptized at 30 years old, before his ministry starts, he's baptized by his cousin John, and he's brought up from the the water. You hear this uh, voice from heaven, a dove comes down and says, this is my son in whom I well pleased. Mm -hmm. It dictates and clarifies for us the certainty of God's love for Jesus was never dependent on his ministry. You need to make sure you understand that. I I think Peter didn't understand that. I think Peter had lived in a society that was based on rules all his life, because he had. He lived in a society that was based on the law, that was based on this this understanding that what I do gives me validity to have rights in the kingdom. What I I, uh, get right and what I get wrong keeps me distanced from people. And Peter's relearning this in his final moments with Jesus. He's trying to tell him, Peter's trying, or sorry, Jesus is trying to tell Peter, even if you mess up for the rest of your life, when I look at you, I say, I love you. Jesus looks at each and every one of us and says, I love you. Again, I think it's why you see so many names in the Bible. Because names mean something different. If I say I love you to the group versus I say I love you to Kimberly, it feels very different. And this moment, this exchange, and Peter and Jesus are having this exchange, you know, if you love me, feed my sheep, you know, and, and it goes on here. It's at the end of uh, chapter, uh, Luke. But the last thing that he says, and I think this is where the response really comes, is he says, um, we're going to look in Luke 24, verses, oh, where am I? Maybe it's not in Luke. Ooh. It's in John. I'm really well prepared. In John, 
uh, chapter 21, verses uh, 15. I'll just go read this whole account here. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Then the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you were... Uh, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is the response. You remember Jesus approached his disciples at the very beginning. And we, we, we get it. Um, the, the more we journey with Jesus the more we start to try and add things into what Jesus is desiring from us. The more we try and, the more difficulty we have and more we begin to recognize and resonate with Peter. Peter messes up and feels unworthy to be loved by Jesus. He feels like the things he did wrong will keep Jesus's love from him. Jesus is trying to clarify, my love was never based on you. It's why I still went and prayed when you were asleep. I still prayed and yearned for you, bleeding in, in, in uh, tears of blood, in anguish for you, even though you were disinterested in the moment. And he clarifies to Peter that I love you, not based on anything you do, not based on all the wrong that you're going to do, because I actually already knew it. Remember, I told you you were going to deny me before you did deny me, and I still loved you then. Remember, I invited Judas into my house, and I already told all of you that Judas was going to betray me, but I still loved him then. Jesus told them that Judas was going to betray them. Jesus told Peter that he was going to betray him, and he still loved him. And the more we journey with Jesus, we start to try and add things on. And Jesus clarifies it in this final moment with Peter again. The only thing I asked you to do was to follow me. Yeah, that's good. Because everything else cannot work without the platform of following me. Yeah. Your church attendance does not work without the platform of following me. Yeah. Tithing doesn't work without the platform of following me. Yeah, come on. Relationships are just relationships without the platform of following me. He's clarifying in this moment that follow me is the basis of things. Uh, Carrie, I have five more minutes. She knows your name. Here, I want to I wanna finish uh, with this last story. I'm, I'm getting there. Don't worry. You ain't going to take my time from me. Uh, and it's found in Luke. It's Jesus' time. Thank you. It's found in Luke 23, uh, and I'm going to start in verse 32. It says, two other men, <clears throat> well, my son doesn't like those balloons popping. It says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. Have you heard this before? Two other men, let's see, just trying to get your attention. Yeah. Two other men, yeah. not many people? Okay, so two other men were crucified with Jesus. There's three crosses. When they came to him, uh, when they came to the place called 
of the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his, um, his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. Soldiers also came up and mocked him. Everyone mocked Jesus. Wrongfully accused, abused, uh, spat on, beat. People stood watching, the rulers even steered him. He saved others, let them save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. Soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there, this is just such a vivid uh, contrast. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Three, three guys hanging on a cross, punished Jesus, the only wrongfully accused one. And yet even the criminal beside you is insulting you with the same, in appearance, the same outcome, assaulting him with insults. Aren't you the Christ, save yourself and us? But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. On this hangs the gospel. It's interesting in the stories amongst the story, in the journey to Jesus. And I've shared stories around Joseph of Arimathea, Simon the Cyrene, Peter, uh, Simon Peter uh, of, of Judas. And here, the partners in crime, I want to call them, they have no names. The criminal to the left and the criminal to the right. I think in a lot of ways, whether by allegory or historical fact, what's given to us is the example and the opportunity to choose which criminal we are. You fill in your name. Are you the one, aren't you the Christ, save yourself? Are you the one recognizing this truth? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. This hangs the gospel. The cross is the example of God taking our punishment unjustly for our benefit. Such a personal story with so many names. It here is criminal one and criminal two. Each of these criminals have a story. Most criminals do. Most criminals have stories of, uh, you know, in our day and age, a lot of them will have stories of abuse, lack of finance, of missed opportunities, of injustice, unfairness in the world, of being born into the wrong family, being born into the wrong circumstances, being born into the wrong situations. All of these things are a reality of what our Jesus journey is. We do not have a Jesus journey without blemish. Even if you went to church every Sunday. But in the end, we get to identify who we are. Criminal one, 
Or criminal two? Criminal one mocks Jesus as he receives his punishment. Criminal two seeks for mercy for his punishment. We all have a different journey. We all have a Jesus journey. But in the end, we all get an opportunity to respond. I see myself in each and every one of these stories. Sometimes more than the other. But I love that as you watch the journey of this short period of time, really we're talking about 48 hours of Jesus' life. We see name after name, example after example of people who we can relate to in whatever way. I love the, the Peter end where Jesus clarifies this, and I want to clarify this to you. Jesus loves you. That's it. Nothing you've done, nothing you will do, nothing you can do can change that. Jesus' love for you is never-ending, non-revocable, irreplaceable. John 15, 12 to 14 says, my command is this, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if I do, if you do what I command. 1 John 4.10 says this, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 4.19, We love because he first loved us. Proverbs 27.19 says this, it says, When you look into the water, you see a likeness of your face. When you look into your heart, you see what you are really like. That's the question. You have a Jesus journey. Whether you know you're on a Jesus journey or not, whether you're in this room or not, you have a Jesus journey. Yeah. Every person walking by and driving by these streets today has a Jesus journey. And every person will have an opportunity to respond. I encourage you to look at your story and, and put aside the pains of what it is. Put aside the, the rules that you think you have to carry. Because whenever we try and be better, or be best, as I like to say, stolen from Ivanka Trump. <laughs> is that right, Ivanka? Yeah. Is that the wife? Or is that the daughter? I'm trying to lose you now. Can you tell? <laughs> my be best will never be best enough. And my be best will never earn God's love. I just have to accept God's love. Accept it for what it is, for who it is, for who I am right now. And here's the funny thing, and I, I got to say it. Um, it's always been funny to me about uh, our life in church is we come into church sometimes and we put on a face of who we think church people are as though Jesus doesn't know who you really are. Right. Like, why are we trying to pretend to hide from Jesus what Jesus already knows? It's okay to just be who Jesus loves already. Jesus knows all your dirty, deep secrets that you won't tell anyone else, and he still says, I love you. So can you just respond to that and be okay? Be okay with being loved as you are. Because being loved as you are is the only platform for transformation. Right. Transformation without love will never happen. And we try to transform our lives without having the love. Yeah. We have to accept the love before we'll ever have transformation. Why don't you bow your heads? I'm going to pray. God, you are so wonderful and so amazing. 
God, I thank you for all you've done. God, not just for what you've done in our church, but God, what you've done in me. I pray, God, that you would be with us in everything that we do as we celebrate Easter. God, I pray that you would uh, be a part of everything that is going on in our world. God, and I pray that we'd be, we would be encouraged today, God, that you love us. God, let us, let us take off all these weights that we've carried that are unnecessary and unasked for. Let us be like a Peter, that when we're uncertain whether we love you, that you can respond and let us know that the only thing you're asking is for us to follow you. Be with us in our celebrations. Be with us in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.